Live from the mist and shrouded mountaintop fortress that is X and Y Communications Headquarters, you're listening to the world famous Mountaintop Podcast. And now, here's your host, Scott McKay. Hello again, gentlemen, all over the world, all across the Fruited Plain, and welcome again to another episode of the world-famous Mountaintop Podcast. As always, I'm your host. My name is Scott McKay, at Scott McKay on Twitter, Real Scott McKay on Instagram, Scott McKay on YouTube. You can find us on the web at www.mountaintoppodcast.com, and I also invite you to join our thriving Facebook group, which is the Mountaintop Summit. All right, you guys asked for this. Just remember, when we get into this show, you asked for this. I get questions all the time. Hey, Scott, you know, you had Ogi Ogus on. He was talking about a billion wicked thoughts and how we all watch porn and women do this and women do that. What's the deal with women and their stinking romance novels? Now, we as guys typically don't spend a lot of time leafing through romance novels and fantasizing about the ways, you know, we're going to ravish women or they're going to ravish us. But this is a phenomenon with women. I mean, long before the infamous Fifty Shades of Grey and the various sequels that came from that, including the movies of it, women have been devouring the romance genre for decades now. If you are brave enough to go on Amazon.com and look at the most popular books in general overall on Amazon, you're going to be amazed at how high up the rankings these books are. So with that in mind, I've gotten to know a wonderful author of very popular romance novels who has graciously offered to come on this show and break down this whole phenomenon for you. And better yet, show you as a big four man how you can harness the power of these guys whom women fantasize so much about in the pages of these novels and maybe live that dream a little bit for yourself. So without any further ado, my new friend Portia Sterling of Royalty Publishing House. She's a romance novel author. Welcome, Portia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. You know, you're obviously very kind, very sweet, very easygoing. I have to ask you, <laughs> what in the world caused you to have this vision of even writing romance novels? How'd you get started? You know what? I've always written books. Usually I use it as a, a pastime for me, a hobby that I did um, to kind of escape and just something that was like a stress reliever. So I started writing really, really young. Now, how I made the transition into writing romance, that just kind of came from me wanting to create a fantasy world for myself. And then eventually when I got my books published, um, for my readers. And that's how I kind of transitioned from just writing regular fiction novels into specializing in the romance genre. So it sounds like it's something you really liked to write about and gave some thought to and decided to go for it. Yes, I love it. <laughs> and apparently your readers do also. I have to ask next, you know, anytime discussions of porn usage amongst men come up, invariably someone says, oh, but you know what? Women watch it too. And then the next thing that's said almost equally invariably is, yeah, but you know, women would much rather read romance novels. What's the <laughs> difference between how men and women process sexual fantasy and how does that give rise to romance novels in particular? 
Definitely. Um, this is a, a great question because I actually have heard this discussed a lot, especially when it comes to books, because um, a lot of people probably don't know, but I'm I'm a publisher also. And so I specialize in romance and I'll have male authors who are like, hey, I wrote this romance novel and I'm like, really? And I read it and it's really just all sex. <laughs> and to a woman, we're like, well, that's not what we would call romance. But um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that men kind of process things visually. So, you know, when it comes to watching porn and being able to look at sex in action, it's a lot different from what turns women on. So we kind of like the mental stimulation. So being able to read a novel and and kind of visualize that in our heads and you know we work through the foreplay in it and all of that and a romance is basically foreplay all in a book because <laughs> you're working on this relationship all the way from the first page to the last page so i think that has a lot to do with the differences between men and women when it comes to thinking about watching porn versus reading and why women prefer reading romance you know, you mentioned the idea of men attempting to write in this genre without a whole lot of success. Several years ago, when I published my products, my sex advice program, Behind Closed Doors, I actually interviewed one of the most popular and successful, if not the only successful male author of romance novels at the time, Scott Hildreth. And, you know, unabashedly, he admitted that a lot of what he wrote came from personal experience. And basically what was going on there is this guy had a knack for how to turn women on, how to kind of simmer that heat over the course of time rather than just diving in and attacking. So this idea of extended foreplay, it's been called foreplay all day long and other audios I've done with the likes of David Shade and others who are sex experts, not authors, mind you. But this is something that is immensely key to turning on a woman sexually. And indeed, Scott Hildreth was saying, hey, you know, women read my books and invite themselves up to visit me and maybe stay for the weekend and do the wild thing with me. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just almost like catnip to women to have a guy get this, right? Right, exactly. And that's the key to being successful as a male author writing in romances. You have to be able to understand how women process romance in their minds and being able to translate that into written word on paper. A lot of men that I've worked with who are authors and who write romance, and they've been successful at doing that, you could read it and you wouldn't be able to tell, did a man write this or did a woman write this? Because they can really captivate a female audience by being able to, to write the things that appeal to women. And the foreplay all day, like when you said that, I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly what I try to do with my novels. And it's, it's worked out for me. Oh, yeah. That's hot stuff to women, even after you're married. I mean, I've right. been married to my wife now for almost 14 years, and it is still all about foreplay all day long especially when you have kids in the house, all that under the radar flirting that's kind of a prelude <laughs> to what's going to happen after we put them to bed, you know, stuff like that. It's really amazingly powerful and really a huge way to keep the spark alive in a relationship over time, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you have some wonderful titles for these books. You told me while we were chit-chatting before we got started that probably your most popular book is called Bad Boys Do It Better. And of course, this whole debate on 
women wanting bad boys <laughs> versus nice guys, like Mr. Nice Guy, is something that has raged for 15, 20 years now in the world of men's dating advice, if not from the very beginning. It's probably raged in real life in various you know, sociosexual situations with men and women since the dawn of recorded time. So how about it, Portia? Do women really want this guy with the Harleys and the tattoos who maybe slaps him up a little bit or has done hard time for some felony and is just getting out of the slammer? Or is this image of a bad boy that really turns women on really something else? Because women seem to cringe at the idea of, quote unquote, Mr. Nice Guy, which we've talked about at length on this show. But it's hard for a lot of guys to grasp why a woman would want a man who's truly bad. So what's going on there? That's a great question, because I've I've gotten this question a lot when people kind of look at the title of my book and they're like, what in the world? Like, what do you mean, bad boys do it better? (laughs) And um, the interesting thing about this is when I initially posted the cover of this book to my readers and said, this is what I was working on. They gravitated towards this book with this title quicker than anything else I've ever written. And I think that there's a fine line when it comes to um, what women desire about the, you know, quote unquote, bad boys. So with my male characters, they're definitely alpha males. They have strong personalities. They're not someone that, you know, a person's just going to be able to run over them. They have really strong opinions. But at the same time, they have great values when it comes to how they decide to treat women. So you know, women don't want a man who's abusive or anything like that. Like when we're saying bad boys, it's not that we want someone who is really, really bad. <laughs> and that's not sense, bad to them in particular. Right. Not bad to them in particular. But you do want someone who's strong when you're thinking about like, can this person protect me? Or or if someone disrespected me, would he be afraid to speak out or would he would he have no issue stepping in to, you know, protect me if I'm disrespected or if we hear a bump in the middle of the night, is he going to be the one running down there or is he going to hide behind me (laughs) to save the day? So with my characters, like I said, they're my readers definitely want an alpha male as the the love interest in the book. There's no way around that. They definitely want someone who has that boss mentality. He's the one calling the shots. He's the leader, not the follower. And then they like that um, if he has this this hard exterior um, with his personality when it comes to people, but that the woman in the book is able to appeal to that softer side. So they definitely like, you know, someone who's guarded, but he's not guarded when it comes to the right woman. And that's something that is definitely key, a key theme in all of my novels. And it's what I've noticed that women love. Now, before we go even one step further in this conversation, Portia, I want you to answer a question for these guys. I have not coached you on what my audience has heard before or how I teach men about the nature between masculinity and femininity before. We're pretty much just getting to know each other now, correct? That's correct. Okay. So everything you just said was first person. You haven't really familiarized yourself with the nature of what I teach guys and um, how often I teach about certain things and how passionate I am about certain things that I teach. I wanted to go ahead and mention that and throw that on the table right now because just about everything you said is an incredibly strong corroboration of what I call being a big four man. He's a man who provides, protects, presides 
He is a leader, but he has women's best interests at heart. And there is this idea of him being able to relax into the femininity of a woman when he's had a tough day, when things haven't gone so well. And what you're talking about in terms of women really desiring to see that side of a guy is something we talked about in detail just a couple of episodes ago with the illustrious Alana Pratt. She cited that principle of a man being able to accept the support and the nurturing of a woman in the midst of his masculine battle is one of the sexiest things a woman can imagine in a way that men really continue to turn women on long term. And what you're saying is this is the plot of just about every romance novel you've ever written because it works. It definitely does. I mean, I've written over 20 books and what I know about that aspect in my books is like, that's what, that's the selling point. If I don't care if this is the main character or even if I have some minor characters in there that I kind of use that same recipe with over and over again, my readers prefer that character over anyone else. If they see that this man who is like, this aggressive, you know, alpha person when it comes to everybody else, but he's able to shed that and be, um, and kind of open up to the right woman. That's the one that they love. Yes. The strong, vulnerable type. Exactly. Right. So now the idea of being a bad boy doesn't necessarily conjure up an image of him rescuing a woman when something goes bump in the night or handling the spider in the bathroom. That doesn't seem so bad to us. I guess what you're trying to say is he has this tough edge to him. He has this ability to, I don't know, some guys would call it be violent when he has to, to make a stand for something, to assert what needs to be done to protect his loved ones, the woman in his life, his children. That is really hard, difficult imagery for a lot of people to swallow in today's day and age. You've got the Me Too movement. You've got this ongoing discussion about, quote unquote, toxic masculinity. And yet the conversation always tends to come full circle back to romance novels and what women really get off on in private, which is a man who is alpha, like you said, a man who's got some masculine presence, strength, and edge to him. He isn't this soft guy who is acting more feminine and swearing off all of his masculine traits as quote-unquote toxic. It's a man who's taking his masculinity and using it for virtuous purpose by being a provider, by being a protector, by doing those things which, yes, as you've openly admitted and described, Portia, women remain turned on by. Nothing has ever changed in the entire primal history of humanity, has it? Well, I do want to add this. So this is the additional piece that I would add to that is that the female character in my novels are also very, very strong women. So another thing that um, my readers have particularly liked about these books, um, especially Bad Boys Do It Better, is that you have this strong male character who meets a strong female character and he has to be that alpha uh, personality you know, this assertive man, but he also has to recognize when he needs to take a step back to kind of let her do her thing also. So it's in my novels, they're romance novels, but they're not the typical, like, you know, damsel in distress um, because she's the female character is strong in her own right. 
So it's almost like they match up and he can recognize when he needs to take the role um, as a protector and then when he needs to kind of fall back because she can handle her own. So she's not, you know, weak in comparison to him. And I think in this day and age, that's an incredible change from what a lot of readers might have preferred a while ago, you know, years ago when reading romance novels, women wanted to be saved a lot in novels, you know, decades ago. But now it's almost like we can kind of save ourselves with an independent woman. We can, we can, you know, make our own money. We can, you know, be a strong leader in the world today. We can have careers and all of that. But at the same time, when we look to finding a partner, we want him to be just as strong and stronger than us in certain areas, but we also need him to be able to recognize when we can do things for ourselves. Aha. So what you're talking about here is kind of a balance between social equality in terms of accepting and expecting that women will be strong and confident in their own right. Yet what's sexually turning the woman on still in the end is, for lack of a better word, sexual dominance, sexual horsepower in the bedroom is where it comes out. Right. And I think that was huge with, um, like you mentioned, Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, so (laughs) definitely with like books like that, you can kind of see that idea into play right there. Yeah, you got to give the public what they want, right? So (laughs) going back to what you just said about women being strong and powerful in their own right and indeed confident, that doesn't necessarily fly in the face of traditional masculine feminine roles as I see it, because I do not personally believe, as I've talked on this show, Portia, that women and their femininity are weak or subservient or somehow a lesser power than masculinity. I believe masculinity and femininity are the catalysts of sexual attraction. And going along with that, I would say that confidence, personal power, emotional strength, grit, mental toughness, Those are not gender-specific qualities. Those are virtuous traits that every human would aspire to if they're smart. (laughs) Of course, (laughs) intelligence is another good, solid human trait that we should all aspire to. So, you know, they all feed off each other. But as I've spoken about here, I'll repeat for your benefit. My wife is not a shrinking violet. She is very, very sweet. She is very feminine in all the ways we as men love to see. But she will stand up for herself. Just recently, she was in a minor fender bender with an 18-wheeler driven by a macho guy who decided basically to hit and run. So she went off on the police chase, tracked this guy down, pulled him over, and when he jumped out of the cab of his truck, gave him a piece of her mind. And I was (laughs) like, that's my honey. I mean, that's pretty badass. (laughs) And that is. You know, (laughs) but she's five foot one, has this cute little voice and giggles a lot and likes to wear pink. I mean, she's all woman all the time, but she's no shrinking violet, like I said. And indeed, my daughter, as these guys know, is a bicycle motocross champion and she takes spectacular spills and dusts herself off and says, I'm okay, and gets up there and wants to kick some more ass and little boys trash talk her and she feeds it right back to him. But again, She is 100% a little girl. I mean, her and her racing buddies comb each other's hair in between motos, and they also, too, love to wear pink and purple. So there's this dance of how masculinity and femininity benefit each other. 
The man provides, protects, and presides over the family, makes decisions that are absolutely in the best interest of the woman. And then the woman provides everything we live for on weekends, the joy, the fun, the comfort, the party. And women love when a man accepts those gifts in return for what he did to help make her life safer for the femininity she wants to give. But see, none of that has to do with intelligence, personal Mm -hmm. strength, uh, intestinal fortitude, or any of that. That's why I love what you're saying, because not only has it caught up with the times, but I would argue that's the way it's always been. So if there's any argument to be made for quote-unquote toxic masculinity or the patriarchy or any of those ideas that we as guys cringe over when we hear about them, You know, it's got to be surrounded in that idea that, hey, you know what? Some guys really are trying to massage their fragile little egos by keeping women down with their strength instead of supporting women and building them up with their strength. And that is indeed an old archaic meme. And when guys do that stuff, they would do well to do better. But I also really hurt for the fact that men in general are being presumed by a lot of factions out there to all be toxic in their masculinity when really most of us as men, especially guys listening to this show, are all about being virtuous with our masculinity, doing right by women, doing right by our families, and leaving the world a better place. So in many ways, I can only stand up and cheer hearing what you're writing to women about because not only are you celebrating virtuous masculinity, you're giving women that validation of their own personal power. And you know what I think, Portia? I think when you have men and women who meet each other, who have those traits, who share those traits in real life, they have hotter, deeper, more connected, longer lasting, and dare I say, better and healthier relationships. What do you think? I think you're exactly right. And while you were speaking, I promise I was like, I wish I could just bottle this all up and just let everybody hear it because that's exactly the idea that Sorry, I my to wife get... got there first. I'm taking. <laughs> <laughs> and she's awesome from what you just told me. I don't yeah. like that. Oh yeah. Oh, her yeah. chasing down that that was awesome. Oh yeah. But um Even definitely. To me. <laughs> that's definitely what I try to get across in my books like, you know, exactly what you said like masculinity and and femininity is they're supposed to complement each other. And I, I show that in my novels and bad boys do it better. Like the two main characters who end up falling in love, they met in the courtroom and the guy, his name in the book is outlaw. And he's being brought up on charges. It's like a, the first day of trial for him. Someone's missing and they're, they're trying to say that he had something to do with it. And the woman in the book, she is actually on the prosecuting team. Um, it's her first day, like she just graduated from law school and did everything and finally got this, this first day on the job and she sees him there. So the book starts with them really not liking each other at all. They're opposites. He represents everything she hates. She represents everything he hates. And there ends up being this transition, which is something that I notice my readers love. Um, there was a transition between the, the two of them. Both of them had really strong opinions in regards to the law and what was bad and what was good and who was a bad person, who was a good person. And throughout them having to interact with each other, they realized that, hey, this other person isn't all that bad. Um, And that's how their love story starts. But in that process, both of them had to give a little and, and give a little. 
And so that masculinity and and the femininity, those traits that like what you just spoke about, they kind of went hand in hand for them to be able to get to that point where they were able to appreciate the other person. But they just had to realize that this isn't a negative. Their differences complement me and makes me a better person. Yeah, that's really hot. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's funny how that story and indeed it's been played out in movies and books elsewhere as well. Mm -hmm. But that whole idea of emotional energy being very intense, but the directional flow of that energy being subject to almost an immediate shift is powerful, isn't it? It's like, I love this person so much and I adore them and I just want them so badly. I want to crawl inside them instead of merely having sex with them. And then that person cheats on you and you just hate them with a passion. You want them dead and you want them doxxed on Facebook. (laughs) And it's the same level of emotion just polarized in the other direction. And so when people meet each other and they're kind of rubbing each other the wrong way, but they're still very horny for each other. That leads to very hot things, mm-hmm. perhaps even without that change in flow. I mean, lots of people have good, hard sex with each other and very horny tryst when they really don't like each other at all. Right, exactly. Yeah, because that energy is just very horny. But I would suspect, as your book seems to be depicting, that if that energy does change over to being affinity instead of disdain or disgust, I guess it is even hotter. And I can imagine how women would just eat that up. Right. Yeah. They, I mean, when I was coming up with the storyline for this, my whole question, because I start all my books with a question was like, how could two people who are on the opposite ends of the world, basically, they live two different ways, um, led two different lives and have two different views of life and what's right and what's wrong. How could I make them fall in love with each other? And it just became something bigger than what I expected it to be. And even with another novel that I wrote, Gangland, it's another series I just completed. I kind of followed that same theme. Um, The main character in there, I actually made him a character that I knew upon first introducing him, uh, my readers would, would hate him. Like I knew that they would not be able to see themselves falling for this guy at all. And then I just challenged myself with being able to change their minds. And by the the end of the series, I actually, I have readers asking me to write a, another part. So <laughs> it's just interesting way of just developing uh, characters and just taking that extreme emotion and just being able to transfer it into love. Do you think that happens in real life somewhat frequently that people meet each other and go, you know what? <sighs> this person. And then the next thing you know, they're just hot for each other. Definitely. I think it happens all the time. And I think when it happens, it leads to the strongest relationships, the strongest and most passionate relationships. Well, wait a second. Is that because basically the people acted on, you know, a knee jerk reaction to this person when really they were misguided in their assessment of that person and then found out, Hey, you know, this person is actually really super great. As opposed to, hey, you know what? The hormones took over for logical reasoning here, and I ended up with a person I just don't even get along with. You're saying it's usually (laughs) the former, not the latter. Well, no, I I think that- All right, so maybe not usually. Right, not usually, but uh, in a lot of the instances where I've seen that people kind of started out meeting each other, and the first thing is like, oh, I can't stand that person for whatever reason. And where I've seen that that has been able to translate into- 
a loving relationship, it seems like that passion is just as strong. So like you were saying before, you just kind of go from one end to the other end of the spectrum, but that the intensity of it remains. Now, all of this brings up another interesting angle that we can pursue here, which is the idea of how women want to be introduced to a man who is theoretically going to be their new love interest. I'm just going to hazard a guess. I'm just throwing this out. Okay. Out of the blue. I'm thinking that nobody in your books or anybody else's has ever been set up by their aunt Edna on a blind date or that, you know, they hooked (laughs) up on Tinder or, you know, something really pedestrian like that. Or, you know, we were out at a club and he bought me a drink. It's always some incredible show-stopping meet-cute moment where he approaches her or they're in a situation where they're thrust together and the meeting has got to happen. There has to be a line in the sand drawn. There has to be this moment where they meet, where now you know me as beforehand you didn't. I want to be careful about the words I use, but it's almost Mm -hmm. as if you're confronted with the idea of meeting me. Are you going to be a deer in the headlights or are you going to rise up to have this moment with me that is particularly seminal, perhaps literally, (laughs) in us building a relationship together? Because see, guys are thinking to themselves, here's why I ask. Men are thinking, you know, I don't want to approach women because women don't want to be bothered. If I go talk to this woman in a grocery store or I strike up a conversation with a bank teller or I see a woman at a festival or at a sporting event and I just walk up to her and say, I find you incredibly interesting and I had to meet you. Men are thinking, you know, that is incredibly scary. That (sighs) probably will go extremely poorly for me. And she may reject me and call me ugly or stupid or even call the police on me and get me arrested. You know, that meme has been perpetuated sometimes in men's dating advice in order to foment fear so that, you know, the guy will want the solution, whichever that the particular dating guru is offering. But in reality, time and again, evidence shows that women love that chance meeting, that quote unquote movie moment. They almost live for it. And indeed, one of the things you are clearly doing in your books, Portia, is magnifying that moment. There's extreme emotion to the circumstance. There's a lot of extra drama built into how those two are going to meet each other because it really does set the stage for everything that follows. Women are all over that, aren't they? Yes. Now, this is the thing. It's really tricky Okay. how I decide how I'm going to have those meeting moments in that whole pursuit phase. And the reason why it's tricky is I feel like in my books, I can kind of get away with a lot that in real life would be like um, tagged as, as a little stalkerish. I really have my men pursue the woman in the book in a way that is almost, he's just, he's incredibly persistent. But the thing is, being that I'm writing a novel, you can kind of see both points of view. So you know that the the woman in the book, the the female character is already a little interested, even though she might be verbally telling him that she's not. So when he's being incredibly persistent, it works out that way. So in real life, <laughs> um, 
that could play out differently with men being overly persistent with a woman that's continuously telling them like, hey, I'm not interested. But at the same time, I think that we give a lot of nonverbal cues when we're interested in a man. Um, and I think about even my past dating history. I'm, I'm married now, but I could even talk about like how it was when I was starting to to decide whether or not to date my husband. Um, he was incredibly persistent, even though I was kind of in the frame of mind where I was just focused on business. But he was able to pick up on a lot of things that I wasn't saying. And he realized, like, maybe I do have a chance here. And so his persistence is what really ended up in us dating and eventually getting engaged and being married. And in my books, I play on that a lot. All of my characters, they're career women. They're really focused on what they're doing at that time in their life. They're not really necessarily looking for relationships. So they might, you know, shoot a guy down a couple of times. But even though they're focused on what it is that they have going, they are still interested. And the male character is able to pick up on that. And he's just he doesn't let her slide that easily. And that's what in the end um, makes all the difference. Now, see, I fully understand how your female audience would completely resonate with this and it doesn't need any explanation to them whatsoever. Meanwhile, <laughs> the men you are writing into your books are specially gifted men who have <laughs> a next level knowledge of how to reach women because it's a rare guy who can pull that off. And indeed, your husband must be a rare guy. So kudos to He's him. He's a writer also. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, see, there you go. <laughs> He's one of these right brain guys. He's got it down. <laughs> For the benefit of guys who are rolling their eyes out there going, you have got to be freaking kidding me. I'm going to make an attempt to unravel this bird's nest a little bit for them. Okay. All right. Help me out here. Correct me where I'm wrong. Dive right in, okay? All right. <laughs> as long as you're respectful of a woman and your intentions are pure, you're not pushy, creepy, or weird, they love when a guy is bold enough to come introduce themselves to her. That's all well and good. You're not going to be arrested for being heterosexual male and being interested. But she may not be interested right now. She may say no. That doesn't necessarily mean you as a guy are this terrible person and you smell funny. It means, you know, she's not interested. Now, if you happen to see this woman in a social situation often, or she's someone who's in your life repeatedly, when a man pursues her anyway, now, this is the word you use, and I want to be sure not to conflate the word pursue with chase, and I'll tell right. you why in a second. When a man has decided he has chosen this woman, the message is such, you know, to kind of make it very simplistic, perhaps overly so, and you're welcome to riff on that. But when a man says to a woman, look, you know what? Obviously, I have plenty of options. There are lots of women I could date, but you, you are the one who has captured my attention. You're the one who is my favorite. You're the one I choose. There's something inherently sexually attractive and primally hot and interesting and even intriguing about a man when he has chosen a woman to that woman. It's like, wait a minute. You know, that leadership, that level of decision-making where you are so sure that I'm the right woman for you, it's almost like she primarily gives him attention, maybe even unwittingly or perhaps even unwillingly at first, which is why it feels so weird to talk about it or even mm -hmm. consider it. 
Even the words falling out of your mouth on this podcast, Portia, are going to be flat out (laughs) frustrating to certain men because they're like, I just don't know how to recreate that. But see, that's where the difference between choosing and chasing comes in. Mm -hmm. If you're just running after a woman hoping instead of believing, if you really just need a girlfriend or you, God forbid, just need to get laid, if there's any kind of desperation, if there's any kind of lack of confidence there, then chase all you want, but she's just going to keep running. The choosing is different. Yes. The choosing is, hey, you know what? There's no desperation. There's no need here. Even if it isn't immediate, it ultimately tends to be a powerful effect on a feminine woman. And I've heard too many examples of exactly what you've described, of a very confident man saying, you know, I sense this is the right woman for me. If she would just understand that I want a chance to do right by her, then she would see it. You know, I couldn't help but be reminded of a wonderful movie starring Mahershala Ali called Hidden Figures, which features women of color who helped propel the first astronauts to the moon. And one of the main characters in that movie is a love interest of Mahershala Ali's character, but she's not ready to date. She doesn't want to date. She especially doesn't want to date him. And the combination of masculine power and patience gentleness on the part of Mahershala Ali's character is breathtaking. I mean, Oscar worthy. Right. And in the end, over the course of this entire movie, he indeed wins her over. And it's something every man should watch. I mean, I get chills up my spine just thinking how he conducted himself. I mean, I love him as an actor anyway. He's awesome. Back to House of Cards. Mm -hmm. But in that particular movie, boy, does he portray masculine power with that protecting heart, vulnerable and strong and patient. He's like the proverbial old bull on the hill. You know, (laughs) he has lots of wisdom and maturity that shows through even in how he, make no mistake about it, pursues the woman of his dreams. So I can only imagine that when you properly encapsulate this kind of guy (laughs) in your books, (laughs) women are like, ah, God, I got to have a guy like that. Right. And that's what I want to impress upon the guys who are listening to you and listening to this conversation, Portia, is women read this stuff and are made horny by it for good reason. Now, yeah, okay, if the guy's a stalker in real life, then, you know, there's a safety factor that's not happening. And that's probably not the way to be. (laughs) It's definitely not the way to be. But you can, I don't know, magnify this whole idea of choosing a woman and pursuing her in a theatrical way, taking some literary license with it in a book, because it really drives home that emotion women are looking for. So, of course, I would do it in real life more like Mahershala Ali would, not like some creepy stalker would. (laughs) Creepy is never good in any situation. But what a powerful message you're giving guys today on how to be, not what to do, what to buy her, the proper pickup line, but just how you are comfortable in your own skin, comfortable in your own masculinity, confident in how to attract a woman. What a great message to these guys to hear it from you when you have so much experience at really hitting the nail on the head with women and writing to them exactly what they're looking for when they're looking for something that frankly turns them on. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. What I want to do is I want to point these guys to my Amazon influencer page where I've listed Gangland, Bad Boys Do It Better, and another book that you mentioned called A Real Love. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you had said that it's probably best for guys to buy Bad Boys Do It Better and read that if they really want to get an idea of what you're about and what women are responding powerfully to, right? Definitely. That one and also Gangland that I wrote with Leo Sullivan. Perfect. And what else I've done is I've set up a special URL, as I always do, which is www.mountaintoppodcast.com front slash Sterling, your last name, S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G, where they will get the direct Amazon link to Bad Boys Do It Better if they would like a shortcut to getting the book directly. Portia, what a great conversation. This took some uh, really interesting twists, as these shows often do. (laughs) And I really appreciate your insight, and I appreciate what you're doing to make the world a better place. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. Yeah, indeed. And guys, if you haven't been to www.mountaintoppodcast.com just yet, you can get 25 minutes with me for absolutely free, and we can talk about your life with women right now. Would you like to be the kind of man who stops women in their tracks and makes them want you? Would you like to strengthen the relationship you already have with a woman in your life? Would you like to be meeting more women in general? Maybe your career could use a jump start. Maybe you'd like a little bit more adventure in your life. Well, we can talk about those things and more when you get on my calendar at www.mountaintoppodcast.com and arrange to talk to me for 25 minutes. It's absolutely free. And until I talk to you again real soon, this is Scott McKay from X and Y Communications in San Antonio, Texas. Be good out there. The Mountaintop Podcast is produced by X and Y Communications. All rights reserved worldwide. Be sure to visit www.mountaintoppodcast.com for show notes. And while you're there, sign up for the free X and Y Communications newsletter for men. This is Ed Roy Odom speaking for the Mountaintop Podcast.